Welcome to the sermon podcast of First United Methodist Church of Round Rock. We hope that this message offers meaning to your life. We invite you to join us in worship on Saturday evenings at 5.30 p.m. or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9.40, or 11 a.m. Each service is unique in style and format. May God bless you and your day. Then there's the relationship between God and us and the great lengths that God has done to, to create that relationship all the way to the cross. And then there's the relationships between people. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, uh, you, you know, uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, thinking of, uh, and then in the New Testament, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Joseph. You know, all of these relationships, and I guess one of the things we can say from the Bible and for us personally, relationships are, well, complicated. And so there were a couple of examples of that complicated that I was seeing this week, so here's a couple of them. I was changing my daughter's diaper, and it was a bad one. Poo was everywhere. I thought I cleaned myself up pretty well before I made some guacamole for a snack. You're ahead of me. When I noticed some leftover guac on my finger, I did what anyone would do. It tasted like poo, literally. Note to all of you, wash your hands thoroughly. I will be scarred for life because of this. Signed, Brian. <laughs> Is that our Brian? No, I don't think so. Uh, note, relationships can be messy, uh, particularly parenting. Here's another one. I took my 11-year-old daughter to the Nutcracker last week. As the peacock character danced in her white leotard, my daughter elbowed me, handed me binoculars, and said, Mom, she's got pit stains. I about died as I looked around, praying nobody heard. Kids are the greatest gift and the most expensive comedy show, signed Robin. Note, in relationships, don't take yourself too seriously. Laughter and humility are just around the corner. But as our children grow up, the relationships become more complicated. Uh, this is the biblical guide to relationships, but that's almost given to you tongue-in-cheek because there's really no biblical guide to relationships. The relationships that are in the Bible are really more about what not to do and say than what to do and say, and it's about claiming the grace in the midst of it. So if you find that you never got a parenting manual when you became a parent or a uh, true marriage manual when you got married, rest comfortably because in the Bible you've got lots of company. So the complicated nature of our relationships. And sometimes in preaching, you know, what you do is you kind of help people get comfortable with the subject matter and you let them put their toe in the water or, or just sit along the pool. But I, I've decided to go ahead and throw you in the deep end uh, because relationships happen in the deep end. Not all relationships are deep. Some of them are pretty shallow. But they're complicated and they require you to be able to tread some water and, and to face some difficult situations. And so today we have uh, this relationship that has three main, this story has three main characters, uh, Absalom, the third son of David, uh, David, the king, 
and then Joab, the general, who is also uh, David's nephew. So he's not only King David to Joab, he's also Uncle David. So we have David, we have Absalom, the third son of David. Now, by saying the third son, that tells you he's not the second or first son. And the first son was named Amnon, and so Amnon was kind of David's favorite, and because this was a monarchy's kind of setup, that meant that he would be the chosen one uh, to, do, uh, to follow with the king. So there's a little bit of rivalry that's already there. But we find a horrible story about Amnon early, just before uh, the passages is about Absalom and, 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 and David. And, and that is uh, that he decides he, he has great feelings for uh, his half-sister, Tamar, who is the blood sister of Absalom. And so he takes sexual advantage of her. And so when that's brought before King David, and so Tamar is David's daughter, when that's brought before David, David just turns the other way. He knows it's wrong, but he doesn't want to jeopardize the future of Amnon, and so he doesn't deal with it. And so Absalom, justifiably angered for his sister, uh, waits two years, and then he goes and has... Uh, Amnon set up, he gets him, some friends get him drunk as a skunk, and, and then they kill him. wonder where Absalom got this uh, ability or this knowledge to set somebody, else, set somebody up and have him killed. Well, there was the story of David and Bathsheba that comes before all these stories uh, where he has an affair that and then covers it up by setting up somebody else with soldiers, and they kill him, and his name was Uriah the Hittite. So maybe that's where we need to kind of take our first sidebar in this story. Uh, grandfathers and fathers, particularly, talk to your sons and your grandsons about the use of power, physically and socially. Uh, in nature a good deal of the time, uh, physical power has been given uh, to males, and, and, and that physical power was meant, and it had a special design, and that was to turn those males into hunters and protectors of their family members, not to where they used power over, but to where they used power for uh, those around them. Unfortunately, we are watching in our own day and time, whether we're watching those extended series that are on HBO and other channels, uh, that we're, we're watching power used over, power being used corruptly. Uh, we're watching that in the music and other things to where power is not being used for people. It's being modeled uh, wrongly all over. And so there's needing to be a counter-modeling where power is used for those that are around us in our families, with our spouses, and with our children. And so there, there's also, uh, there's a power that society gives, and I'm not saying that, excuse me, there's a power that society gives. 
and that power that society gives, uh, you know, as I'm not saying God sends that power at all. Uh, but it is a power that's there. And so in society, uh, teach our, our, our sons and our grandsons to use power uh, with and not over people. It's not power to rule. It's about uh, power to empower. So we empower our, our, our spouses. We empower our children. We empower our grandchildren. We empower the people in relationships and work. Uh, it, again, it's a movement that, that counters the way power is used in our world at just about every level. To have the gift to empower those around us, to be using the power that God gives us, is a gift that can change the very world itself. David does not use that gift with Absalom, and it ends up destroying Absalom, and it ends up fracturing the country of Israel as well. So the murder of his brother, which had justifiable anger behind it, but it was unjustifiable action. So he does the murder, and it fractures the relationship between David and his son. Absalom goes into exile for three years. This is all the backstory before what you heard. And it isn't until a prophetess from Tekoa comes to him and says, that's your son out there. You need to invite him home. So David invites Absalom home, and Absalom comes there, but Absalom comes with an agenda. And so Absalom would start having counsel with people. And when they would offer him the counsel that was, should have been for the king to offer, he would offer it instead and remind them where they got the counsel. Then Absalom would befriend people in a certain way, doing them favors that would buy their friendship. And so Absalom fell into the trap where leadership became manipulation. And, and, and that is indeed the, uh, the original sin, the, the natural uh, uh, hazard of leadership. It becomes manipulation, and it will naturally. And it doesn't hurt that Absalom was described as the most handsome man in the kingdom in 2 Samuel 14. So he trades on his popularity to the point that the people set up a coup of David that would be led by Absalom. He moves the whole kingdom of Israel from Jerusalem to Hebron, where he had been before uh, in exile and has that as the capital of Israel. And so in this story, as you were hearing it, the Israelites are against David, but that's because, he, because Absalom had claimed Israel as his own. And so here you have the picture. He consolidates greater numbers and leads the rebellion. Here's some more parental wisdom of what not to say and do. Be careful when you're reading your own press. This is for leaders, uh, female and male as well, uh, because you're going to uh, take too seriously uh, those who are supporting you and those who are your critics, and pretty soon your vision of reality will be uh, distorted as well as your vision of what is right and wrong, and you'll become manipulative. So teach your children and your grandchildren uh, 
that sense of integrity about who and whose they are. Uh, teach them uh, to guard their relationship with God. Uh, teach them uh, to be servant leaders. In the Bible, there is no such thing as leadership that is not servant leadership. And so we are called to do that. And some of you may think, well, that's going to make them wimps. That's, that's going to make them leaders that are going to get run over. Here's what I've discovered. Servant leaders who really are connected to God and they have guarded their sense of soul will be stronger leaders. They will say the difficult things. They will make the harder decisions that are needed to make because they have discovered that it's not about them. And that is the kind, I mean, that's where the cross is such, it's not weakness. The cross is a powerful statement of leadership where it's not about them. You're going to need to teach it and, and, and model it repeatedly. So Absalom leads the insurrection against his own father. And he then actually commits sexual assault with the concubines of David. His righteous anger for his sister now has become cold and, and, and calculating. And here we see this positive part of David's parenting. He tells the soldiers, please spare Absalom. Make sure he's not hurt. He's got a parental love. He does that, but he tells that to his general Joab, who is his nephew, and Joab is not so prone to agree. Why? Because Absalom had gone in vandalism and burned all of Joab's fields. So there was a score to settle. So he gets caught in his beautiful hair, the most handsome man in Israel, caught with this amazing head of hair and caught in the branches, and, and there he is suspended in the air. But people know the orders of the king. So Joab takes things in his own hand, and he takes three spears and drives them into the heart of Absalom. And Absalom dies. Parents, teach your children accountability. David did not learn accountability. Absalom did not learn accountability. And the results are awful. Sometimes we want to protect our children and grandchildren from accountability, from those failing grades, uh, from uh, the things that would make them not get on the team. Uh, for those consequences that are there for, for behavior, because we don't want them to hurt. But David had to learn that. And we need to teach that with our children. Because later, if we don't, it becomes lethal. Having a good sense of accountability and consequences can be life-giving. I don't mean that there isn't forgiveness. But the Bible teaches there must be godly sorrow and turnaround for forgiveness to have its true effect. So our, our scripture lesson closes with David's a profound grief over the loss of his son where he, he wishes that it could have been him instead of Absalom. And there's some words from Frederick Bigner that I, that I love here. He says, if David could have done the, boy, the boys dying for him, he would have done it. 
If he could have paid the price for the boy's betrayal of him, he would have paid it. If he could have given his own life to make the boy alive again, he would have given it. But even a king can't do things like that. As later history was to prove it, it takes a God. So in God's love, we have a different model for how we love, but it's more than a model. When we start to draw on that love, and we start to learn into that love, it, it, it delivers us from the selfishness and the tendency toward manipulation that we all face in the way that we love. And instead, it allows us to have an empowering, life-giving love to all those around us. Literally, God teaches a love, so it changes the way we love. It's no longer a possessive love. It's no longer a power-seeking love. It is a freeing love. It's grace-filled, and it's holy. This is a difficult story to hear and absorb, and it probably is the first sermon you have ever heard on it. Because it's not the way things should be. And sometimes we find ourselves caught in these very things. As we're sitting in this sanctuary, I know there's a good number of us that, that have been in situations where maybe there are even patterns of generations of just bad love and, and bad parenting. Uh, if you have been blessed with good parenting and good love, uh, say your thanks to God because it's not necessarily what everybody gets to go through. And so what happens is there can be an encounter with godly love that begins to heal us and set us free. And that's one of the things I know some people will say, I just can never claim God's love or the love of a heavenly father because of what my father did or my grandfather did or, or some other person did. But one of the things that God comes to do is to redeem that whole concept uh, so that we can be loved into a new kind of love. There's no such thing as perfect parents. Any perfect parents here? No such thing as perfect grandparents. No such thing as perfect children or grandchildren. And, and what has been done and said shouldn't be just swept under the rug and pretend it's not there because it comes up in ugliness later. So no family secrets. But there is a greater secret. The secret of God's love. The good news that, that recreates our love. And that's the gift that God has for each of us here, is recreating love. How will God make you into a new lover? from this moment forward. God is more anxious to do that than we are to receive it. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we pray for healing in our relationships. We pray for healing in our families. We see the brokenness in this passage of Scripture and its violence and its lack of principle. and We see it in the world all around us and we know that 
you came to this world to create a counter-movement of, of love that frees and empowers and heals. So Lord, move, us for, move among us here. May this be the point in time where healing takes new hold in lots of us. And then empower us to model this life-giving, empowering, freeing love everywhere we are in this coming week. In the name of Christ. Amen. So as you respond to God's word,